Hello, old friends. This is Mike Dawson, and I welcome all of you to the Silent Pianos podcast, where I interview curious people that do extraordinary things. Today's guest is pianist Sean Chen, who is the third prize winner of the 2013 Van Cliburn International Piano Competition. He is also the recipient of the DeHaan Classical Fellowship as the winner of the 2013 American Pianist Award. And he became a fellow of the Lenore Annenberg Fellowship Fund for the Performing Arts in 2015. Our conversation became a deep dive into music, recordings, science, anime, and of course, Van Cliburn. Enjoy my interview with pianist and really cool guy, Sean Chen. So all that good stuff is... That's fine. I'm going to do this again. Oh, now it's tracking. Well, clearly I was nervous. So anyway, um, so welcome, Sean Chen, to the silent pianist as I hit the wrong button on the tape recording. So we were talking about Van Cliburn, and you were saying about finding albums, so please yes. proceed. So I, have, I got these LP albums from... Um, Actually, from a conductor who passed away, and and uh, and I found uh, quite a few. There was things like Stravinsky connecting Stravinsky, and really cool orchestral stuff. Um, but they, there are a few Van Cliburn albums, and at that time, by that time, I already knew who he was, and 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 the work he, you know, the recordings he's made, and how, how much of a big influence and, and important figure he was in terms of classical music and piano. Um, but when when you're younger, it's hard to really, especially if you didn't grow up listening to or being taught how to listen to, to, to piano playing at a highest level. You just, I mean, I loved music. I loved the notes. You were just I loved the harmonies, just but I was just listening, listening to it. Yeah, it's pure pleasure. I grew up with like you know Cassine recordings, Art Rich, and things like that, which you can enjoy on so many different levels. I mean, if, even if you're a novice um, music listener, they're just amazing to listen to without knowing. But then once you learn more, you start getting to intricacies and things like that. Um, And I think, uh, well, with with Van Cliburn, there's always this larger-than-life story behind it, too. So when you listen to the recording, you have that in your head. Right, because Um, you have that that, uh, going into that. Right, right. So it's a little, uh, I I think, uh, different comparison when you're talking about, you know, what's the first time you heard a Van Cliburn recording? Because you already, you know, you already (laughs) have this... Uh, expectation this um uh preconceived notion of well, like this huge figure you know this bro- yeah, like truly this really a celebrity expansive beyond um, music yes truly yes yes of course um and i i he he passed away unfortunately right before i did the Clyburn. that's true i think i met him once because i actually watched the entire competition four years before i did mine um and i think i might have just met him briefly then right but i right. never really got to talk to him yes well you know the, the thing is that i find fascinating you know when when we meet um people that uh we admire mm-hmm. um as as musicians right. um and then we get the opportunity to meet an individual uh even for a few moments sometimes you get a a good 
impression of just the, the type of uh, personality. Did you find that yeah. that was true in, in the few moments you met him, that, that there was something there? Or was it, you were kind of in the conga line and yeah. you were kind yeah. of a guy Yeah, I mean, like it that. was sort of, it was very quick and, you know, it's all, you know, it's, it's Van Cliburn and he's very, you know, graceful. To everybody. Very, yes, and very nice. Um, and I think, actually, a lot of, most musicians, most pianists are very nice people. I mean, you, you hear these, you kind of hear horror stories about certain people right. being really mean and or very standoffish. But I, in my um, experience, I've never run into meeting, you know, a professional pianist. Or, or, or for that matter, or any, just yeah. professional musicians yeah, anyway, because I think if you do that. Right. You, 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 know, you know how difficult it is and you don't have to, you know, it's everyone sort of uh, struggling to do the same thing and, and kind of you know, get the music across to, to people. So right. there's no reason so, to be. <laughs> right. I totally get that. So yeah. like when you, this was four years before you uh, put yourself into the, into this yes. competition. And um, I'm sure you went through many other competitions before you decided to go into that mm-hmm. uh, particular one. Um, it, four years ago, had you already been uh, doing that um, as a, a young man uh, in terms of, uh, you know, working up the repertoire and you were already there kind of, and you knew that at some point you might, you might give that one a shot at some point. There was definitely that uh, kind of preparation mindset. Although I, I, if you asked me then, you know, uh, would you do well in the competition next time you've entered? I'd probably say, nah, I probably wouldn't. But I had been doing competitions since um, uh, even starting in a bit in high school. Um, and then when I went to conservatory, I started doing pretty much at least one a year, mm-hmm. um, starting with some less big ones. And then it just kind of built up in terms of momentum. Like I, I had pieces that I were I was playing and that worked well for me. And um, if they didn't work for well for me, I knew I could. I kind of was really figuring out how to play the game, so to speak. Yeah, you're road uh, testing it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And so um, with the few years before the competition i was doing i did uh 2011 i got second at the seoul international music competition in okay, korea. That's in korea right. um and then i did uh i was at cleveland a few times and i i didn't win um but i got a uh a prize for uh my performance of uh, a piece american piece after 1940 whatever the date was 1950 um and then i went to leeds competition the year before clyburn and I got to the semis of that, and I was like, I was starting to get a hang. I knew what was working. I knew what I needed to work on, sort of. And um, it just kind of was a happy coincidence of, of factors that that allowed me to do well. And, right, and, coincide. Yeah. It, it is a little bit of a, of, of a synergy, I guess. Yeah, and, and there's and a lot I, of luck. I think a lot, a, a sure. lot of music students tend to forget that, you know, because we, we really we work so hard on our craft and we pay so much attention to everything we do. Um, but there is an insane amount of luck that... There always that is in, 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 in the business yeah, well, of music yes, and yes, in life. It's yeah. true. You know, so as I said a moment ago uh, before I pressed the proper record button, is that I wanted to know about your origins in terms of uh, uh, your uh, beginnings as, as a, a musician. And I read in your bio that you were uh, born in Florida, but you lived most of, of your adolescence in uh, Los Angeles. Yes. And uh, were your parents musicians at all? They were. They they liked music. So they were they lovers. Loved, they loved music. Fantastic. Um, my dad played a little guitar uh, for fun, 
um, I grew up listening to a lot of uh, 70s music, like James Taylor and Elton John. Oh, wow. So he Eric was playing Clapton. a lot of that so stuff. He played a lot of that stuff. Uh, and he wrote some some of his own music and lyrics and stuff, too. Oh, wow. Um, cool. Chinese. He, he was. Um, that's how my parents met, actually. I think my dad uh, was... Serenaded her. Uh, yeah, he was in the, <laughs> the guitar club or president of the guitar club or something, and he, he dedicated songs to her. Well, that's really like cool. That. So, so clearly music was always in your life. Then. Yeah, yeah. We, we always have music going on. Um, and so, so that was, that was, I'm sure a big factor. Um, I think part of the reason why I started piano was just because, you know, my parents thought it was a good idea for me to right. learn. And I, I, I think I had a small keyboard that I probably seemed to enjoy playing or something. So they thought I should get real lessons. Um, and it just kind of stuck. I was never really pressured to be a mu- I mean, I, I didn't know I was going to be a pianist at all till much later. Um, but it was, I, I, obviously your parents have to force you to practice when you're that young, you know, right. You Cause don't, we, you don't practice. we don't want to do right. that. But, uh, once I got on the piano, I think I really enjoyed being there and, uh, I really enjoyed, I watched a lot of Disney movies, I played a lot of video games and I really enjoyed kind of figuring out how to play by ear those, those songs. And then I, that kind of led me into improvising and composition too, which really kept me interested in music when I didn't feel like practicing, you know, right. because you don't always feel like right. you're practicing. sitting there yeah, figuring exactly. tunes out and, uh, and got the fun. stereo going and exactly. playing along. And stuff exactly. Like that. So I think it's very important. I, I tell people when they're asking me about um, their kids or whatever, how to keep them, how to motivate them. And, and the best way is to make it a, make it fun. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Not to make it, not to dumb it down and make it, you know, whatever, but it's it, a big it difference. Has to, yeah. It, it has to come from a, a genuine place a sense of play as you bring along the musicianship yes, you know, as yes, they get older. Yeah. So what's your, uh, what's your dad's name? Uh, Eric. Eric. And yeah. your mom's name? Terry. Uh, uh, and uh, were they uh, born in America or did they immigrate? Uh, they were born in Taiwan. Okay, yeah. so they came to Taiwan. Yeah, they came, and then they came for, for school. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you ha- do you still have a lot of family in Taiwan? Yeah, qu- yeah quite a bit. So you get yes. to go back, and, and, yes. and, and, and that's cool, man. Yeah, it's nice. I, I really like Taiwan. Yeah, I lived in yeah. Singapore for over oh, okay. a year Yeah, yeah. When, I was, when I was an engineering uh, uh, guy, you know, doing yeah. all that back, back before the internet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when we had to connect everything with wires. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Give abacuses to oh, it. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well done, sir. Very good.
Uh, so, you know, the thing that <laughs> – that's fantastic. So the thing that I was thinking about, who was your memorable teachers during, uh, during that time in Los Angeles before you went to Juilliard? Right. So I had uh, mainly one teacher. I, I studied with him for 10 years, actually, from 8 to 18. Um, and uh, sadly, he just passed away this summer from oh. cancer, a really aggressive kind of shocking thing. Um, but he was uh, – And what was his name? Edward Francis. Edward Francis, And okay. he has – Throughout the years, gotten really involved in the well. He was always involved in the musical community, but he's really expanded, and um, you know, gone to conferences uh, nationwide. And he travels to listen to his students play everywhere. And he's just really um, a selfless guy, and always about teaching and and you know, um, learning uh, both for himself and his students. So it, it was it was kind of amazing. Um, he really. I think one thing he was really good at was keeping his students interested in in studying uh, by uh, repertoire. So he really knew. <laughs> I figured out what I like to play, and um, and he was cool with that. He said, yeah. "Well, if that's what you want to play. That's yeah, where we'll go." Yeah. Well, I mean, there's you know, obviously there's a yeah. A he's time, gonna say, "Play time, your Bach, right?" And all that there's stuff. a time for everything too. You know, he say, "Okay, well, maybe we can work on that in a in a while." You're not quite ready for that. Flexible, piece. right? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't dogmatic. Um, and I think that's very important. Uh, my first first teacher was Angela Shu, and it was, it's very, it was, it was really technical, um, but I think it was also really important. I mean, I don't want to downplay that. You know, it was the foundation. It was I was not happy. Yeah. Uh, after a while, I mean, I enjoyed it at first, but then I wasn't playing repertoire. I was just doing exercises, and so wow. Um, but, you know, I probably wouldn't be here today if I didn't have that. Because that foundation, foundation is, is important. Right, but right. so it's, you know, everyone goes through their own kind of path to yeah. uh, to where they are. And so um, so I, I wanted to switch um, study with someone who I could just play more stuff, you know, actually learn learn music. And so right. that's. Um, I stayed with him till I graduated. And so when, when he would teach, um, was he. Uh, really good sight reader that would just, you know, put the scores up there and just play and give you a sense of, of how the music um, uh, could be executed. Because some pieces right. you need to see how to do uh, particular types of passages, you know. Right. I mean, we were uh, enjoying your Ravel today. <laughs> and, of course, that's very athletic it music. Very, yeah. But I can imagine when you start doing pieces where you have certain things that you have to execute. Right. So di- I guess my question is, did he demonstrate a lot? He did demonstrate. He would read uh, as not not so much the the, the more uh, you know more difficult stuff, but he would uh, play usually play through the piece when he were to what, to assign it to his students. He'd play through them, yeah, um, just so you get a sense of it. And if he couldn't, then he would give you a CD. Um, so I, a lot of the pieces I chose later on, he would give me you know two CDs. He'd say, "I want you to learn these pieces eventually." Um, so you get to choose which one you want to start with. So in, in a way, yeah. you get to exercise some musical decision-making um, and kind of uh, formulate your musical style in a way, yeah. like what you like more, you prefer more. Um, and I found out that I really, really enjoyed Ravel. And, and, and um, so, so that was how um, he kind of did those pieces. But he was, he was an accomplished pianist too. He actually was going to go to IU for his doctorate but he'd already had a teaching studio in California and things like and that. And that was so, what, was, that's yeah, what it was. Yeah, that was what he, what he right. wanted to do, and wouldn't have made sense for him to stop that, you know. Right, right, because over. that's a real hard left turn when yeah. you decide to maybe and, do something completely different. Right, and and back then, right now, it's, nowadays, it's like DMAs are everywhere. Yeah, everyone and their mom has a DMA, and they don't 
they're they're a requirement to teach at universities, but they almost don't mean much in terms of like what can you uh, ascertain about this musician's knowledge or musicianship sure. because they have a DMA. But but back then, I think it was even is like you didn't need a DMA if you especially if you're going to just teach, even at a university, it was fine. Right, right. You but, didn't have to go to the postdoc yeah, kind of yeah, stuff and things yeah. of that nature. So, you know, would you call him like one of your first mentors, perhaps, in yeah, a way? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and he, would and he turn, stayed in touch, yeah. you know, after graduated. He, he would travel. and he, uh, Yep, and he'd text me and say, you know, your talking was good, but there's too many ums on stage and things like that, <laughs> or, you know... Uh, why did you, you know, why are you buttoning both buttons oh, on your jacket? wow. Was, no, he was very yeah. observant, and I think yeah. it's good, you know, because yeah. uh, I was exposed Honesty to... Honesty with love. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And I was exposed early on to, you know, schmoozing, and, you know, when you play at places, you have to meet the donors, you have to... You have to hang. You have to hang with people, and right. you have to be... Uh, if you're not good at that, at least you have to know how to... Navigate. Make, yeah, make yourself kind of be in that, that zone, and I think that was very important... You know, it's extra musical stuff, but it's very important for, um, especially nowadays, for having a career in music. Yeah, we're freelancers, man. For teachers, it doesn't matter for performers or for music administrators. It's all... Right, it's um, all kind of part and parcel of the same thing. Well, that's fantastic. So when you went to Juilliard, you earned your BA and your MA there. Or sorry, The acronyms we have all, we all have those. So... You know, when you when you were in New York City, tell me about, like some of your performance experiences there in the city. Um, probably you did Town Hall. You probably played Lincoln Center, perhaps. You know, uh, Carnegie Hall eventually. You know, uh, I actually have not played at Carnegie. Which well, we uh, have to we have to actually, yeah. we have to fix that. <laughs> um, no, being in in but New York, but just playing was, in the city is just right. a different kind of world. Well, being in New York was really amazing. I mean, at the moment I stepped off the plane for my audition, I was like, I want to go here. Yes. Um, and I, I knew some of the my fellow you know, students um, and other people who were already at Juilliard through music camps and competitions and things like that. So I already felt like I belonged there. Um, so it was very nice, and, and I was very happy when I got accepted to go. Um, there, you know, when you're a student in New York – or anywhere, you don't take advantage enough of the opportunities, like going to the opera, doing the concerts, going to the museums. Because you're practicing. Yeah, because you're practicing. You're being a, busy being a student and hanging out with your friends instead of you know, going to see those places that you won't <laughs> see because then you'll leave New York. And right. Like, oh. Well, yeah, you know, but, I think that we, we don't appreciate it until we leave it. Yeah, exactly. And then we go, man, I wish I could be a student again. Yeah. With oh, what we know now. Definitely. Um, I, I didn't do a lot of performing in... New York, besides, you know, at the school, um, I did some gigs. Um, I actually got to do a little bit of recording under, you know, Robert Kraft. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of Stravinsky stuff, and they were doing some weird Stravinsky arrangement of uh, Tchaikovsky um, from The Sleeping Beauty, the Pad Pas de Deux. Okay. Um, and there's a little piano part, so I somebody recommended me to do yeah. it. And, um, count lots of rests. Yeah, count lots of rests. <laughs> and it was just, it was kind of interesting because, you know, Robert Kraft is kind of famous sort of musicologist for Stravinsky yes, stuff. That's how I But know. it really he didn't he just beat the beats and it was the engineers doing all the, you know, cut, do that over again, you know. Oh my gosh. And and that's it is the way that way when I did my recording, the, the producers really, you know, they're your kind of they 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 make the decisions mm-hmm. um in a way. Mm-hmm. Um so that was that was kind of eye opening. Um did yeah. a lot of chamber music and things like that. Um got to play with the Juilliard Orchestra. But most of, still at Juilliard, you have to be, uh, 
and I don't, you, you have to be, I, I use this word with a, a few caveats, but you have to be a favorite to, to get a lot of performing stuff, you know, study with the right teacher, um, play for the right people. And, um, I liked who I was studying with and I didn't want to, you know, do any sh- kissing up to people just because I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to, you know, get the right. Well, you were right sticking education. to your goals. Yeah, I, I was. I'm. I think I'm kind of stubborn like that. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> but, right, right. Um, so the performing, a lot of performing actually didn't happen until I I won this, the the competition. Um, I did do quite a bit of performing in California because I grew up and there's a pretty big music community there. Sure, absolutely. Um, and uh, really, the competitions that I did were my opportunities to perform because they are you know you always get audience members who are really enthusiastic about piano and classical music come to these competitions you know no matter where it is if it's in europe or in asia or in america you attract piano fans when you uh, at competitions so um that was really where i did a lot of my performing uh, yeah in school that brings up another question uh were you here this year for uh, the performances i did not i did not come because you're I, working yeah i yeah. W- my brother visited me in Kansas City. Okay, and, well, you uh, got the stuff. You know, and <laughs> Kansas City is such a great music oh, town. Oh, great. You know, it's, it's uh, I was just up in uh, uh, in uh, Missouri to go see the the eclipse. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. know, and I was like, oh, I got to go back to Kansas City because yeah, I used to play. Bl- to. I used to I used to play in blues clubs all the time. Okay. You know, in my yeah. world, you know, and and of course that's you know where a lot of jazz right. came out of. So, right. and I know that you know the you know the Kansas City orchestras. Yeah. And, and, and there's a lot going on there's there, and going. and you think, oh, Kansas, you know, what's going on there? You know, and people don't know. Oh man, yep. that there's this there's this huge community. It, they are Kansas Cityans are really proud of their what they have. I mean, they they love everything local. They love everything made in Kansas yeah, City. It's a very homegrown. Yeah, thing. they love you know local local meat, local greens, <laughs> local music, local art, um, yeah. local coffee, local beer. So it's a real interesting. And they're very proud yeah. of it. So it was, I've never been in a city that's like that. You know, I grew up in L.A. Yeah, we we like L.A., but we're from everywhere, and we're going right. everywhere, and right. L.A. is so the ultimate big, trans- you can't really say what is L.A. I mean, what is, I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of L.A. It's like, you know, in a good day, 45 minutes to get downtown. That's, you know, that's pretty far. In the East Coast, this would be like two separate big cities. Right, right, right. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, so it's it's very it's been Sounds a very like it's been a good place to plant your really, flag. A yeah, bit. definitely, fantastic. Um, so yeah, uh, I forgot what we were talking about. Well, no, I just yeah, like I said, yeah. we're just hanging, you yeah. know, freewheeling discussion. Yeah. You know, like I said, I, I'm the thing I try to work on this thing because I'm doing things that are not interviewing just musicians right. and, and filmmakers, yeah. but I'm, I'm I've got people from NASA that are yeah. on the hook and, and yeah. astronauts, right. and because of my nerd background. Oh, I well, mean, we, we should talk. Th- we should talk about. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about you know you know it sounds like that you had a little bit of a decision you know when you were quite a bit younger. Do you go into the path of the music or do you right. go to the path because uh, you were really interested in technology yes. and 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 yeah. code and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. So w- how did that feel when you decided to go one way or the other? Probably you never walked away from. It. It's just that right. it's, it's an emphasis, right? I well, I did make a conscious decision. I would not do a double degree yeah, if I did that really because hard. I wasn't. I didn't do prep, you know, conservatory training. Um, I wasn't. If I went to music, I really needed to focus on on practicing and getting better. If I and I didn't do any like you know super crazy mathathons or any science you know things like that. I was good at the schoolwork, coursework, and and you know, and I understood it and I liked doing it. But 
I did not know how I would compare, you know, once I went to, so I got accepted at MIT and Harvard for, mm-hmm. for science. And I'm sure I would have get like creamed if I got to MIT for, for that kind of stuff. It's brutal. Well, it's kind of um, like a Juilliard yeah. for the, for the, that uh, yeah. STEM uh, exactly. stuff. Well, we'll call it STEAM, STEAM. now since yeah. you and I are here. Now. Right. <laughs> um, but I, so I knew if I get either one, I'd have to devote a lot of um, concentration to that. So I didn't want to, um, do a double degree because I felt like I just insane. probably, I mean, I've been sort of doing double when I was in high school, I was doing music and, and academics both a lot. And I just was a little tired of juggling that. Um, yeah, you can, you gotta pick one of the yeah. other. Cause I tried to do that too when, when I was working as an engineer mm-hmm. and I wanted to be a songwriter yeah. and not be just, I, I walked away from the classical piano mm-hmm. world and I, I went into that, but then I realized that I still like to write songs yeah, and I write yeah. the melody and, right. and I, do that so i you know after 10 years i walked away from that yeah, and went yeah. back into it and it's like yeah. well i'm much happier now but right, right. i can i can emphasize yeah. with that so i i sort of made the decision based on if i went to music school and after a few years didn't like a couple of years i could transfer out and go do an academic school um you know maybe do some you know and then transfer into a, a better university right. later for something else um Whereas I think the opposite is much harder because if you're not practicing piano for two years or three years, seriously, yeah, I mean, you lose it and everyone else is getting better and you're getting older and and, in performing arts ages is, is like sort of a factor. Yeah. My friend said, we thought you were dead. (laughs) (laughs) They said to me, (laughs) I go, no, man, I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so that, that's sort of the logic. It was a very rational sort of thing because I actually, I think what happened was. I wrote to Harvard and was like, I'm thinking about pursuing a sort of professional thing, music school. And if I don't like it after one year, may I do a deferred acceptance and come come to Harvard um, one year late? And they actually said yes. No, oh, well, there you go. But I, I didn't end up, ended up not even So that was a safety it, net that, that wasn't was, really required. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're always a very rational, planning ahead kind I of guy? I tried to be. I think emotionally I wanted to do music. Yeah, like I just sure. had to rationalize it uh-huh. in in a way. Um, but I back then it was more actually I was really interested in physics and chemistry more than I didn't really know much about computer programming okay, and things so like the that. Pure science and yeah, and, and it was actually not until I went to Juilliard and I started taking classes up at Columbia um, because we can take one course a semester if our grades are good. Um, at Juilliard, we can take one course a semester at Columbia, no prereqs, pass, you can do pass or fail. It's just about learning. So I, so it's like an elective. Yeah, it's time. really nice. So wow. I, I finished, you know, calculus, multivariable calculus, complex analysis. Um, my dad's a stat, stats major. So and okay, I took econometrics, it. which was quite boring. Um, I took financial economics, a lot of math stuff. And then right, I was right. like, oh, well, they had an intro to C. And I was like, well, I've always wanted to uh, program. I did a little HTML and JavaScript in, in high school, just putting together page web pages for right. fun. Um, and I was like, I should probably, you know, learn about programming, programming. And it was sort of interesting because I realized I thought just like, a computer, like all the algorithms made sense to me. All the logic was very, I mean, it could be a product of just growing up playing video games a lot and, and, being around computers. Yeah. Um, I mean, so when you're a gamer, it's, yeah. it's like a thing where you just kind of like how the sausage yeah, is being made. Exactly. And, uh, it's kind of yeah. like when you do your analytical techniques for, for music, <laughs> for music yeah. kind of digging into it. Yeah, a bit. yeah, definitely. And so I really blew the breeze through that course and then I took um, data structures and algorithms and then I got into computer animation, which is more physical simulations. So mm-hmm. we 
did everything from like just collisions and um, simulating gravity to uh, excuse me rigid body and fluid dynamics and then I took computer graphics which is more of the rendering pipeline right how to use OpenGL and um, ray tracing and things like that so it was really cool because it gave me an insight to all the stuff going on in, in the back end of video games you know you play you're like oh it looks amazing but once you learn take these courses you really even have a deeper appreciation for it because they're finding ways to make it look so realistic in real time on you know especially nowadays on your phone it looks great you yeah, know it's it's, ama- amazing. it's amazing what they can do Yeah, I I had uh, uh, over the f- past few years I became uh, aware of Hayao Miyazaki. Oh, yeah. you know, and I and so I went back and I watched a lot of those old mm-hmm. ones because they're I don't know if you're you know yeah. that yeah. they're running the the Studio Ghibli festival throughout North America. Oh, I did not know that. So yeah. it's so that every month they're showing one of the oh, one of one of the old films. Great. Um, so I watched this week uh, Castle in the Sky. Oh yeah, you know that's fantastic. Yeah, but that it. was pre. Yeah. Uh, computer right. generated right. stuff. It's all cameras and right. and acetate, right? And, and cells. All, and stuff it's like just that. Yeah. it's amazing. And I'm you know that's that's an amazing uh, process to watch. And, yeah. You know because now you know things are done right. through through the lens of of, of the digital world. Right. It's kind of like our right. recording. You right. Know? You probably uh, I don't know if you've done recordings uh, that weren't digital. You know where you got the Record tape, right? No, you know? not and I've not done tape. However, I've done uh, a little shameless plug um, for for the Steinway Spirio. Yes, thing, absolutely. Which is sort of, I mean, it's digital, but it's sort of analog in that you're not recording the sound wave. I mean, you, you're you're getting the playback directly analog from the piano. And it's like the way really, of doing mastering and vinyl stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. That's what makes it sound so vibrant, right, I think. Right, which is, yeah. you know, we've seen a lot of other companies try to do the same yeah. thing, but it just sounds like a MIDI controller. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the, the Steinway company, as um, they innovate in so many other ways right. hundreds of years ago, right. I think they're they're ahead of the game in this yeah, new they, thing. I mean, they also have a big library of artists to get feedback from. Right. You know? What pieces did you play for them? Uh, I've done a whole bunch of stuff. I've done okay. some Ravel. I've done some Metner. I've done a lot of arrangements. Um, some Godowski, some Liszt. 
Okay. Uh, so some of there. your own compositions are on there as well? Uh, my, some of my own arrangements, okay, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, because I saw you've done like, uh, quite a few things and yeah. a lot of collaborations with other composers. Yeah, um, yes. So the, the, one, the one that I wanted to ask you about, I'm looking uh-huh. at my notes here, uh, you did one with uh, Lisa Bilawa? Yeah. So so she's she's quite yeah. Um, It was not so much a collaboration as as she was. uh, So one of the competitions I won in 2013 was uh, the American Pianist Association uh, American Pianist Awards by the American Pianist Association in Indianapolis. Yes, yes. That year, um, that was the Dahan Classical Fellowship. Fellowship. And they usually have a commission piece. uh, That was hers. uh, Aspect of it. Our years was actually we had five finalists and there were five composers. One for each one of us. So I got, I was assigned Lisa's piece. Oh, okay, so it was the canons and the chorales. Yes, the Vero canon and the chorales. And, Wonderful. And, um, I think the, the, uh, um, the president of the competition who was dividing the pieces out kind of honed in on each one of our personalities and, and gave us the piece that he thought best fit us. Yeah. And I think he kind of recognized I, I love fugues and I'm a very analytical kind of guy. So um, I, I appreciated that, that piece a lot. And it also, was really quite satisfying to play, um, and uh, yeah, I you know I, I enjoy learning learning new music, and I my was roommates with a composer for three years at Juilliard, and I was really glad to have that because it forced me to listen to a lot of contemporary stuff and really get my ears because it's really an acquired taste. I mean, no no matter how you look at it, um, you have to listen to it and get to know it. And then once you start to know these pieces and connect with them, then they start to sound very familiar and very right. normal. Right. But when you it's don't... It's not like listening to a Beethoven sonata right. where you kind of know all the exactly. dips and turns. Exactly. If you hear, you know, there's, there are Beethoven pieces that if you've never heard before, you listen to them and go, what the heck is going on Hammer here? Hammer was like that <laughs> yeah. for me. Yes. You're just like, what the world's going exactly. on? Exactly. Uh, I totally get that. Well, you know, the, I was uh, you know looking at you did... Uh, one of the other guys that caught my eye was uh, Michael Williams. Yeah. And, do you uh, know? Do you know Michael? Uh, I just know him by reputation. Okay. I don't know him by, uh, yeah. by, by uh, other than his music. So, yeah. what was? How did you connect with him? And- so he's actually he was he taught piano also in California. Um, I'm not sure if this is the same Michael Williams you're, you're thinking yes, about. Yes, yes, okay. Yeah. He's from New Zealand, right? Is it, did, he, did he grow up in New Zealand? Maybe I'm thinking of another guy. I don't please, think, I, I think he, his, he, don't, he doesn't have a New Zealand oh, accent. Oh, okay. So. Okay, gotcha. Um, no, he he's a, uh, was a, a music teacher. He was also a pianist. He studied at. Peabody or Eastman, I forget. So he was a trained, he was a trained pianist. Mm-hmm. Um, he taught piano. He was also, he, he actually worked for, I think he was, he went to tech. I think he worked for Nokia. Okay. Um, for a long time. Um, and then he wanted, he, he started writing music. And um, he, he approached me with, uh, he actually written a concerto that he wanted me to play with the local symphony where, where I grew up um, and that he ha- he knew well. And we still haven't had the chance to, to do that yet, to, oh, okay. to record so that. It's so somewhere that out happen. there in the future. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, definitely. But he approached me with these, you know, since he teaches, he, he wanted to write these pedagogical, mm-hmm. sort of pedagogical. They're, they're, they span from not too difficult to actually quite difficult um, uh, pieces. And uh, he asked if I would be interested in doing a, a recording album of it, so they actually did record a, a CD of it. And they're very interesting. They're um, character pieces. Um, uh, there's a set called Ringtones, where he kind of envisions like um, ringtones written for the piano. They kind of um, <laughs> very cool. They're from short to a little bit longer, but they have that kind of um, um, catchy quality about a them. Little aesthetic, little hook. Yeah, exactly. On and more one of them quotes Lenokia ringtones, uh, things like that. So. <laughs> 
Clearly. Um, and then he has the album for the young artists, um, two volumes, and then um, the uh, tone poems where it's more advanced. It's more kind of like ballads and things like that. I so um, it's very, uh, uh, it's quite tonal um, with, with jazzy influences and very pianistic. Um, and I, I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, uh, working on them, so and and we're good friends, so so that mm-hmm. that was also nice. Mm-hmm. nice. Well, yeah, it's always good to yeah. have that little rapport going there. Yeah. So, um, uh, in your own compositions, um, do you think you might uh, uh, do a, a full length uh, album of just your own music at some time in the future? Because you I, probably write a lot. Yeah. It's not that they all make it right. out into the public w- <laughs> venues. I, I do a lot of arrangements, and I do have an idea for for putting together um, transcriptions. Uh, yeah, I've you did the Ravel transcription. Did the Ravel. I've done uh, movement of the Rachmaninoff Second Symphony, the third movement. Do you like? Uh, do you make your own transcriptions? Yeah. a la Horowitz. Yeah, well, they're <laughs> they're more. I, I my sort of I guess my approach is to transform the piano into an orchestra. So I'm less about filigree and making adding chromatic stuff to it. I mean, some of the pieces I do add some, you know, some interesting things to, but it's really more about how can I make the piano sound like the orchestra? So like the Lavals, I grew up listening to LP, Pierre conducting Lavals. Mm-hmm. And I just had that sound in my head of that, of that Was piece. Was that with the Montreal Symphony? I think maybe. Yeah. Could have been. Yeah. And, uh, and so when I play, when I first heard Lavals live, it was two piano version. I was like, Oh, this is cool. And then I heard the one piano version. I was kind of like, uh, right. It's it's different. I mm-hmm. think Ravel was trying to do something different with that. He wasn't trying to. Well, I think I think he might have written that one first. So with the orchestra orchestral version, he really flushed. He really turned it really, into a. You can really hear the piece. spectrum. Yeah, and so I wanted to capture that and and especially translate what I hear in my head when I think Lavals. And onto the piano. Right. So you bring your own imagination. Yeah. Clearly, yeah. you're not you're not just trying to read from a score and right. say, "Well, I need to have this here. Right. I need to have that." Right. So that's that's yeah. that's a very good way. That's a very contemporary way of doing it. Because yeah. I think you know part of our mission as as artists and performers is that we have to reach the audience somehow. And, yeah. And you know we don't want classical music or even you know jazz music of the 1930s right. or the uh, uh, or uh, uh, any other time period that seems historical now, right. we don't want it to sound like we're in a museum. Right, exactly. And I, the the nice thing about doing your own arrangements and transcriptions is that it's unique to you. I mean, you when you're faced with a musical challenge, like how do I translate this to the piano, every musician, every pianist has uh, will have a different solution because we've played different pieces and we've studied different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... What we write is both unique to us, so it's it's nice to play for us, but it's also unique to us in that there no there's no one else in the the world that would do it like that. Right, right. And so it's and it's I, I like doing transcriptions because I don't have to worry about the notes. The notes are good. Like the composer did their job. They wrote like you know, the notes, the form is great. Mm-hmm. And I just have to worry about recreating that on the piano. Right. You're creating um, a, a a a a vibe. Yeah. You know, the for, for a non musical way to describe it. It's sort that. of like in a way, making a recording of a of, of a of a performance, you know, we you as a recording engineer, you have to decide where the mics to put, how many mics to do it, how you mix it down, how wide the stereo is, and things like that. Um, and when people hear the finished product, you're actually hearing not just the performance, but the interpretation of the engineer. The studio is another instrument, right? Exactly, and so it's sort of like that, where our our transcription, well, first our performance is also interpretation, but our transcription is also 
a filter, you know, that the music passes through. I see. Um, and before then you get to the abstract notes, you know, the essence of the music. So, now, when you create these tra- these transcriptions of pieces that you're really mm-hmm. intimately yeah. familiar with, uh, how much of it, how much of it are you putting down on paper? Uh, all of it at the end. Okay, um, so you I, you work through it eventually, right, right. So that you can kind of yeah. You know, I usually play through. I'll, I'll score. I'll put the score and I'll play through, or I'll by ear, you know, play different parts and see. Oh yeah, this this will be cool this way, or yeah. or this will be challenging. I'll have to work on this later. I'll sit down with uh, with the paper and pencil or Sibelius and and figure it out or sometimes if there's just too much stuff going on I'll just pretty much do a flat flattening of the score and then take it to the piano and then figure out what I need and what what I hear and what I don't want to hear you know what I don't need um so it sounds like it's a pretty uh lengthy process for some of the bigger pieces yes yes and then once you you once I have like sort of how I want to do sections and I'll sit down and, and put the whole thing in Sibelius and then once I get that printed out, I'll go to the piano, and then I'll practice it and play through it and edit. You know, yeah, every time, absolutely, just taking out notes, putting notes in, listening to the piece, and go, oh, I didn't realize that horn part was so prominent, or that trumpet part should actually be an octave higher on the piano because it doesn't sound so good that low. You know, things like that, and you, right, right. you tweak it until it sounds. Yeah, I've been uh, taking a lot of the uh, a lot of the great uh, South American guitar music and, mm. and turning it into piano pieces. Oh, cool. Um, and some of it's been done on piano, but right. but. But what I've noticed is some of the some of the additions that I find in the music stores, uh-huh. and then I, I immediately notice, oh, that's an octave lower. Oh, yeah. that's that's harmonized in six, and right. ooh, he's doing a false harmonic on right. the guitar, right. and I want to recreate those because right. if I'm hearing Julian Bream do it, I'm like, man, I want to sound like that dude. I don't right. want it to be so straight and strict. You know, I want yeah. it, I want it to sound like you know, there I got a sombrero on my head. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 a hard thing too because, um, you know. Take for example, like lists some of his paraphrases are so wild. I mean, they're yeah. they're not really they just it's the, really the original. Yeah, the original is just a, a springboard for this entire creative process. And I don't think I've I'm there yet in terms of the freedom. I, I the pieces that I really want to transcribe really don't lend themselves to that kind of arrangement. Mm-hmm. They're more like they're, they're already like done. You just have to kind of put them on the piano and really make it sound like an orchestra.
Yeah, yeah, it's just so massive, oh, you know. Goodness. And we've been very fortunate here in, in uh, North Texas with Jaap Van Zuyden. Oh, yes. You know, yes. I mean, he's made that orchestra sound like I've never heard it right, before. Right. And it's interesting that he's going to New York now, and yeah. I guess that'll be an interesting process to observe. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, it's always it's always interesting. I mean, that, that's a profession I don't envy as being a conductor. It's it's a tough thing, you know. It's and he came at it from, tough. like, a lot of these guys, they come at it from a player. Right. And then they become that. I mean, I was – I mean – I think about Ruben, uh, not Ruben, uh, 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 Bernstein. Bernstein, you know, oh, and I yeah. think of how how he just made that happen in the '40s, right. and he subs he substitutes and he blows everybody away, right. and then he's just right. he's just that's what he does. But right. then you learn that he had done all this piano stuff, and yeah. he, he was the Yale guy, right. and he studied with all these people. So even though we know him as a as a orchestral conductor and a music uh, director. He had this whole he other background, so yeah. You know, so, yeah. So no, you don't you don't want to be waving the baton, huh? I, I would love to do that, but nowadays being conductor is more than just that. You, you are the fundraiser. Fundraise. Yeah. You got a budget manager. You got to do all that stuff. Very and, difficult these times. And you know there are very few orchestras that have a full time season to support one you know conductor full time. So they travel around. They have two or three orchestras. You know. Yes. And. There's that, and then if you're a conductor, if you're a young conductor, it's, uh, at least from people I know, they feel a little lonely because the musicians in the orchestra, there's there's a divide there. You know, you're, right. as a conductor, yeah, you're a musician, but you're actually part of the administration, too. Right. And You're the heavy sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And so there's that union thing, and then there's the, the musicians are sort of together, and then the conductor's sort of separate. So even if they're the some similar age... It's a little hard to bridge that that um, divide, right. which sometimes the board wants. You know, they don't want the the conductor and musicians to get too cozy because if they have to let someone go or whatever. I don't know. You know, it's it's very right. Well, we observe that as players, you know, right. and we you obviously go in and, and and perform with many orchestras, and you see different kinds of dynamics right. in right. that in that same uh, right. lens, and right. you 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 sense that, yeah, because yeah. it's sometimes it's palpable. It is, yeah. it, and that's so. So I I would love to conduct. I would yeah. love to conduct like from the piano. If I could do like Beethoven or Mozart concerti and do some conducting there, that probably be would be Just call up Andres Schiff. He'll give yeah, you some exactly. points. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's great. Um, that would be sort of the, the extent to which I would love to conduct. I mean, cool. I would. Well, I would love to conduct like a Beethoven symphony or something. Yeah, like that. just to hear it yeah, like, from that yeah, perspective. Exactly. But I don't. I've never taken any lessons or anything, so I'd probably be horrible at it. But um, I'd also be a horrible. I'd be a really annoying rehearser because you know, as pianists, <laughs> we're so OCD by ourselves. We can control everything. Yeah. With, a, with an orchestra, you have to let them. I mean, yeah, you give them suggestions, but they're their own. You know, they're their own musicians too, and they play right. together, and they have a a way they play and you can't, you know, fidget around with those kind of things and expect it to sound good. It's going to just be a mess. You know, you're going to waste right. a lot of time. And yeah. Well, you have to trust things. them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you have to trust them. So that's a different. Well, Otis gave me five minutes, so I know <laughs> you have to catch a plane here, but, um, uh, the last thing I wanted to ask, um, before we call it quits here is who are you listening to now? What kind of, uh, I mean, I, I know you probably listen to certain pianists, right. but, but what, music are you listening to just for fun what's on your playlist these days uh mostly orchestral stuff and and old pianists like Rachmaninoff and Metner and Corto and you know the dead white pianists. right all the dead white guys but, but uh, there's something about the way they play music it's so different than the way we play music now and yeah I wouldn't play like them but I think it's very important to, to hear them and, and to be inspired by what they did because like they couldn't care about 
we care less about round notes, I don't think. You know, especially Cartel. You know? Right. It wasn't yeah. about that. And there's so much spirit in his playing and so much freedom. Um, sometimes it's borderline kind of crazy. But, hey, you know, that's it's it's really uh, captivating. That's humanity. Yeah. Um, so I, I listen to those. I listen to, like, the other day I listened to the Manfred, Tchaikovsky Manfred Symphony. I never heard it before. I've heard all the other symphonies. I never mm-hmm. heard Manfred Symphony before. Um, I have a lot of composer friends that we just, you know, kind of, exchange like hey have you heard this before oh you should check this piece out oh you'd love this right. and stuff so things like that um i'm a big video game and disney music fan so i listen to a lot of that just to relax okay um, cool man and a lot of oldies you know my the stuff my dad listened to they're on my playlist I right yeah, them yeah and, because it's it's all good it, all, it's it is all good. good um yeah chinese ta- taiwanese pop and things like that you know sometimes it's it's interesting to I, even if music, if the music is bad, it's good to listen to it to know to to try to say why it's to tell yourself why it's bad. I mean, if you can't, if you hate something but you can't say why it is, then maybe maybe it's not bad, you know? Right. So, it's just boring to you. Right. Exactly. So, and I think that's the same with pop music sometimes, um, where people, a lot of classical musicians, are like, oh, yeah, that music is sucks. It's music's terrible. And it's right. Like, right. Oh, it's just because. You know, you Are just you really say the, that because yeah. you think, you know, that's what you think you should say. But have you, do you really listen to it? Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, what films do you, are you digging these days? Are you liking the, are you a film score guy? Um, I like film scores. I, I'm not so big on like old movies. I haven't gotten into it. I mean, I've seen some, but I mostly just catch what's exciting, you know, it's playing now. And I love animated stuff. I really do. Like Pixar Miyazaki stuff. Yeah, um, I've just been obsessed with um, that guy. I, I'm the in the new... middle of creating a, a an animated film. Oh, okay, you know, yeah. and I'm using some of my music. Okay, uh, as a template. And yeah, that's a whole I new love, world. Man. I, I, it's crazy. I I really wanted to be a video game composer actually when I was a kid. Oh, cool. Oh, um, you could so, do that. Man. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. There's a lot of it is just like I could do that. I just gotta devote the time. Right. And, it's a whole other world. And man. it's always like you think it's easier in another field, but really of it's not. it's just as difficult. It's not more difficult than what you're doing now. So, um, I've I've only done really one kind of short thing for um, I had a f- uh, acquaintance who was doing film school, and they did a film thesis film, and I wrote some music for oh, that. Cool. So that was a, a interesting experience. So maybe we'll have some of that so, in the future. Yeah. There. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, we're, we're getting the, the, the thumbs uh, up from uh, Otis Gray here at Steinway Hall in Texas, so we're going to have to wrap this up. Sean Chen, thank you so much oh. for coming, and, and we really enjoyed your performance oh. today. Really and, glad to uh, be here. We, we wish you the best with all your performances this year and next year, and we hope you come back to Texas soon. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, cheers. <laughs> Sean Chen is a joy to talk to. Be sure to visit Sean Chen's website, seanchenpiano.com, to learn where he's performing next. Sean also has an intense masterclass schedule, so you can find out more at Sean Chen Piano. Mr. Chen will be performing for the Steinway Society of the Bay Area in San Jose on September 9th. And on September 23rd, he travels to Anchorage, Alaska to play Beethoven's Emperor Concerto under the Northern Lights with conductor Randall Fleischer and the Anchorage Symphony Orchestra. The piano performances you heard during today's interview 
was from Sean Steinway & Sons label album, La Balls. My name is Mike Dawson, and I am the silent pianist. You can find me at my band's website, RoarElectra.com, or at my Twitter, at Mike Dawson Music. And you can find the Silent Pianist podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Goodbye, old friends. I am the Silent Pianist. See you next time.